0: There was a, a local crew member, he would surf in the mornings and then he'd come to rig and he'd always have his board backstage. And I was like, what is that? And he, I would pester him and pester him and pester him. And then finally he told me where to go to see it. I sat exactly where he told me to on this bench and two kids who were about my age walked out on the water and they surfed this little two foot beach break together. And it looked like breakdancing on water. And on my little 15 year old brain was just like, what is happening?
1: That was famed sports commentator, TV host, actor, singer, businessman, humanitarian, and super nice human being, Salema Masakela, who is this week's guest on Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we are just trying, with your help, to make the world 10% nicer by every means necessary. I am your host, Todd Brilliant, And today, Salema joins us to talk about, you know, stuff, stuff like uh, surfing, surfing, but not just surfing like you might think of like SoCal bros throwing shakas, but the deeper, way back hidden history of surfing that he and dozens of others make abundantly clear in the beautiful book, Afro Surf. Yeah, who knew? African Surf. And they have for a really, really, really long time. And they're really, really good at it. The book, AfroSurf, is part of Salema's Mami Wata effort, which just pretty much aims to spread the beauty and energy of African surf culture around the world uh, and also to enrich and empower the lives of the next generation of African surfers. Back, way back, before he founded Mami Wata, uh, Sal was the host of the X Games, he was an NBA sideline, uh, an Olympics reporter, he worked for Viceland, he's just, he's been all over the airwaves reporting on larger culture through the lens of sport. So we'll talk about all of that. We'll also talk about how he got there, how his career evolved, the big jumps he had to take to get to where he is now, these these poignant, memorable moments as well that he will share during this talk. Uh, you'll get an idea of the winning attitude Salema carries with him through everything, and I, I hope that maybe that will resonate with you and that you can unbox your winning attitude. I mean, everybody has one, right? Sometimes we just forget where we packed it. Uh, if you want to win a copy of Afro Surf, if you want to win a copy of this beautiful coffee table book, keep listening. It's pretty easy to win, really. Your odds are super, super good. So stay tuned. On to some, some super nice club business. You got to do that part. First of all, thank you for being in the club. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you're listening, you're in the club. You just got jumped in through the airwaves. Yep. Uh... If you are not following us on one of Mark Zuckerberg's soul-depleting platforms, you can. Just go onto one. Type in Super Nice Club. Even better, go to our website, Super Nice Club. Sign up for our guaranteed-to-be-funny-and-nice-and-sometimes-mildly-inappropriate newsletter. If you don't love it, you can just unsubscribe. No problem. uh, For extra bonus points and to really join the club and get uh, free stuff. Yeah, we give away a lot of stuff on our Insiders line. Just text the secret phrase... Uh uh surfing was invented in Africa. Yeah. Surfing was invented in Africa. Text that right now to 3104210393. All right. If you're driving right now, I understand it's hard to write that stuff down. So um roll up all your windows, fog up your windows a little bit, and then with your finger just right into the don't turn on the defroster, it'll screw this whole thing up. Three one zero 4210393. Don't worry if it, if it goes away, you can fog up your car later. It'll it'll be there. It's cool. I promise. So, hotbox box your car later. Get the phone number. Uh hit up our website superniceclub.com for awesome shirts, hats, hoodies, stickers, all of which are 100% guaranteed to start a nice conversation with a stranger or your money back. Yep. Does anybody else give that guarantee? Uh-huh. Nobody else does. So take us up on it. Cuz the world needs more nice conversations. It really does. There's a lot of stuff that's pretty dreadful happening right now. We need to talk about it. Difficult conversations are nice conversations. Okay, let's do this. Turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to Nice Work with Salema Masakela. Salema, Salema Masakela. welcome to Nice Work. Really glad you're here today.
0: Thank you very much, man. This is a great title, by the way. Nice Work is, Is I'm like, yeah, that that, that, that makes sense. I want to know more.
1: Nice work. You know, if we, we can do nice work and change the world. I, I mean, I think that's, uh, we got to, we got to do a lot of nice work, a lot. There's some heavy lifting ahead. Uh, where are you right now? What part of the world? Where are you at?
0: I'm presently in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I live in Los Angeles, California, okay. but my lady is presently in Atlanta. And so I'm, I'm visiting her for a week. I have never
1: had a bad time in Atlanta, Georgia.
0: Before I got into this relationship, I never would have thought as of Atlanta as a place I'm going to spend more than like three days because yeah. I've always had good times like out here for work and being out in the streets and it's exciting. But like Atlanta, like the city and like a little bit more out in the perimeter is amazing.
1: Yeah, it is great. I, people, if you haven't checked out Atlanta, or if you have a, a preconception of what Atlanta is. It's probably not that. It's beautiful, cool homes, parks, farmers markets. Also, obviously, music scene, food for days, food for days, um, and parks. and it's super diversified. Whatever you're into professionally, it's in Atlanta.
0: Yes, everything's there. It's a really, really cool city. Atlanta is de- is is diversity and inclusion uh, without trying as good as you can do it. I, I feel like Atlanta is what America's afraid of. <laughs>
1: That's <laughs> the threat of a good example, right? It really is. <laughs> all right. So I'm just going to dive right into what you're up to right now. And that sounds simple, but man, you're just up to so, so, so much goodness. Looking at you online, I'm like, wait, he's doing this. He's doing that, this, that. I don't even know where to focus. So we're just going to talk it out. <laughs> Whatever's like hot in your mind right now is what we're going to talk about, all right? But right right first. On. I just want to kind of start where, which is where I found you, where I first got an idea of, you know, your passions for a nicer world. You have a lot of passions for a nicer world and you're actually turning them into reality. I'm just impressed, which is why we're talking. So I was at a bookstore here in Los Angeles. If you're in LA, it's a really cool art bookstore. It's just art books. It's kind of overwhelming. It's called Arcana. It's just, uh, so shout out to Arcana, Arcana Books in Los Angeles. Where And bookstores, they require us to give them some love because, you know, you can order stuff like this book right here, Afro Surf on Amazon, I think it's like 25 bucks. Or I go down to my local bookstore where I ended up buying it, which is Diesel Books. And it was 40 bucks, you know, but I tell you what, 15 bucks is definitely worth it to me to have a bookstore in my neighborhood. Absolutely. So if you... Check out this book. I recommend if you can do it, picking it up at, at a local bookstore. And we're going to talk about the book. So let's start with that, and then we'll ride through the rest of your world. Uh, I should have said surf through the rest of your world. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> <Well> <laughs> so played. what was the well what, what was the impetus behind this lovely publication?
0: Afro Surf um, came about from a partnership that I got into about four years ago. Um, as a co-founder of a brand called Mami Wata, which is a surf brand, but that is based in South Africa, uh, out of Cape Town, South Africa. My family's from South Africa. My father was a political exile of South Africa, uh, for 30 years. And so I think the, the first time that I got to go surfing in South Africa was in 1991 and it was a real life-changing experience for me, especially coming up off the heels of apartheid and not seeing people that look like me, indigenous South Africans in the water at all. In fact, the police tried to arrest me the first time that I surfed in Durban um, because they thought that I'd come from a spaceship pretty much. (laughs) And growing up as well, when I moved to Southern California um, from from the East Coast at, at 16 and started surfing, I fell in love with surfing, but also no one looked like me that was doing it. Um, and it was a strange thing. And kids were definitely not afraid to be like, you people don't even swim. Like, what do you mean you, you want to learn to surf and, you know, show up at a break and people be unafraid to like, use the N word, um, instead of just calling you a kook. And that was just something that you, you learn to deal with and walk with either like the aggressions or the microaggressions while navigating this thing that you're in love with. Um for the entirety of, of, of my time as a surfer and I love surfing almost more than anything in the world. Um, surfing, snowboarding and skateboarding are big roots of who I am as well as music. And I just always dreamt of a time when how the culture was presented or what the definition of the culture was, wasn't defined by blonde hair, blue eyed white kids from Southern California or southern australia like that that didn't have to be the it didn't have to be everyone who wants to live this lifestyle needs to figure out how to emulate these guys only Mm -hmm. and i longed for a day when you know could show the world that like this is also what it looks like and fast forward you know 20 some odd years 20 years i start, you know i go start going back to south africa and the landscape has changed. There are now indigenous South African kids that are starting to get in the water, um, and are doing it well. And it's taking place not just in South Africa, but these little scenes that are sort of that are starting to pop up, you know, in Namibia and Mozambique and Ghana and you know, Liberia and Senegal and all these places, and I'm like with the advent of social media being able to see and communicate and meet these people and just, oh, I, you know, you just, I just felt elevated, taller, like, Whoa, look at us it's happening. It's all it's happening, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And as, as we started building this brand, this brand was with the idea of presenting and building a, a surf lifestyle brand um, that was translated or, or communicated from the perspective of, of African surf culture. Okay. This is what y'all already know what, in the world, but here's what surfing looks and feels like with uh, African culture as its source. And that's, so within building that brand, you know, we came up with the idea for the, for this book for Afro surf. And it's funny if it hadn't have been for lockdown, global lockdown, we would have done the book a lot differently. You know, we, we, we would have gone on trips and, and sort of, micromanage a bit, you know, engage with people on the ground, but we would have, we would have taken a lot more time and spent more money going from place to place to make the book. But because of lockdown and um, COVID-19, it was like, all right, we want to make this book. We can't go places. So why don't we just build a template and communicate with our friends around the world and curated, you know, by via communication and, and let them tell their stories and edit accordingly. And so that's what we did. And I think we were able to do something impossible that I thought impossible um, in about seven months. And we made this 300 page book, that is the first of probably a few that showcase surfing through uh, entirely through the, through the lens of um, African culture.
1: And if you like books, folks, even if you don't not interested in surfing, it's just a beautiful book. Like, I just want to take a second to give some props to your designer or design team. Yeah. Cover yeah. The, the layout. Yeah, p uh, Yeah. Big just, shout out. This, I'm a, somebody he, who's who's kind of a snob about design. I'll, just, I'll admit it. This is a beautiful book. And this took some work. This was not really like, a, uh, oh, we're in a rush. We're just going to kind of throw it into a template and make a book. This is every spread is well thought you know there's there's a bunch of there's a ton of interviews in here uh most yeah, yeah. yeah scholars um, and each one is treated like each one has treatment each one has a graphical treatment that's unique to it's anyway I could go on and on
0: y'all but just get the book it's it's the kind of thing where you don't have to be into surfing we wanted to, to do the book as a as a lens into making people actively curious about the continent you know most yeah. people's conception of Africa is still very much limited to like Discovery Channel and wild animals, and right. oh, I, would, I would love to go on a safari one day, and mountains, like maybe I'll climb Kilimanjaro, one of the, the other fantastic peaks. And that's right. good, like I'm good. There are plenty of people who go to Africa and just do that and leave, and don't engage with the people, and don't in- engage and touch and feel the culture. Um, and to me that's just a loss like because Africa's the shit. like you have this this incredibly diverse 54 countries, I can't even imagine how many languages. I mean, just in South Africa alone where I'm from 13 languages, nationally recognized wow. uh, languages. but uh, there's just so much history and culture that influences, uh, and music and pageantry that influences day to day life, while also meeting up with the with the modern Western world in incredible ways. And people just don't know that and aren't curious for some reason in the West about that, like they are going to Europe or going to South America or exploring Southeast Asia. So this book was 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 a bit of a Trojan horse to get people excited about um, about the continent and 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 all that it has to offer. It's like when people saw. Um, uh Black Panther last year, and mm-hmm. they or two years ago, and they were blown away. they're like, Wait, those costumes and 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 customs and and things that we see in the movie those come from real places, yeah, you're like yeah, like all of that, all of that people are like, Oh, I want to go there, I want to know what
1: that is' There's uh, there's stories. You have a ton of stories in here. For These little short vignettes, people's little biographical pieces, and they talk about their personal histories and their view of what they think Western culture sees Africa as. You said a second ago, kind of an aside here, but I'm just going to go with it. You said Africa is the shit. Well, I was in Guadalajara, Mexico a couple of years ago, and these... Little jackets were blowing up. They were giving them to all the bands at this concert I was at. And they just say, Mexico is the shit on the back. Mm. And on the inside, on the lining, there's this big uh, um, just sort of screed on Mexican history and why Mexico is amazing. Um, I got I got given one, so I wear it sometimes it's because Mexico is pretty amazing. I love Mexico. Headed yeah. there in December, Mexico City. But Africa is the shit. I mean, could be a cool jacket. Just throwing it out there. You do what you will. Um, but uh, um, I bet um, you'd sell you. a bunch of them. So I grew up with this myth. And I'll bet you at least one listener here has grown up with this myth. And I got it just growing up in tiny hick towns in Northern California. But also when I started visiting Hawaii a lot, you see these pictures of Duke with his big longboard. That basically the Polynesians invented surfing, Right. And which isn't to say they didn't come up with it on their own, right? They did. No, a lot of cultures around the world did. But talk to me a little bit about the the deeper history, the older history of surfing.
0: Well, I I think what surprises people is that concurrently and historically also, perhaps earlier in this in the 1600s, the same the same thing was taking place in Africa, and it's re- recorded history of, of of what that is. Um, there's Africans traditionally across the continent have a deep ritualized history with the ocean and being water people as fishermen etc and and navigating and learning to ride waves and doing so for pleasure and there's this um, there's this this crazy ass idea this myth that like that that within the West that just black people in general especially Africans, don't like, have nothing to do with, um, don't see uh, the ocean as a source of like joy, healing, recreation, life. And so right. that story has been limited um, to Polynesian history. Um, right. And we've exot- and, and, and Western history has exoticized that uh, to the nth degree. And so people finding out, especially when they when you read the first like four pages of this book, it's like, hey, Here's what you know, but also here's what you don't know. Here's right. here's the history of, of, of surfing and the ocean on the continent of Africa. And also, like, here's a scholar um, who's going to give you these facts in case you think this is, like, passionate opinion. And right. people just being like, like, wait, what? Like, yeah, oh, it is an
1: eye-opener. Like, it is. It's, in, the, in those passages, it talks about how the first people, probably, unless they were indigenous people surfing, but to surf the eastern seaboard of the United States— were enslaved Africans as far back as the 1700s, yes. all the way down to Brazil. Yes, right. Which kind of basically rewrites the entire global history of surfing, which is cool. I love it. I'm just such a geek for history getting rewritten. Archaeology does this all the time. Yes. First we thought that this was invented over here in Europe. Then we thought it was here, and then we're like, no, actually, this. You know, we keep uncovering layers of human history. Uh, so it just seems completely plausible that we can uncover. Older surf history, right?
0: Yeah. And I think that's the, the, the thing that really shocks people uh, is learning, you know, the, as, as we find ourselves for some reason in this uh, heated debate in America whether to sweep our history under the rug or to teach it so that we don't end up reliving and doing it again. Um, when it comes to, to enslaved Africans that came to America, one of the first things that the slavers did. Was make the water of something that was punishable by death. You know they were worried that slaves were going to to swim to freedom, so they banned them from swimming. You know they they did everything they could um, to make enslaved people absolutely petrified of the ocean and the water, even though like that's what they brought with them as skill set, um, so that they would be able to manage and keep them where they were. And imagine. That if that's your history, um, that's the trauma that you're, you've in, your you've your families endured generationally. By the time we get into the modern day, of course, it would appear as mm-hmm. if you know people don't don't have an affinity or a love for the ocean. And if you go all the way back, even to like yesterday, right during segregation, you know the manner in which this country made sure that that black people, you know, didn't use public pools, right you know, like literally to the point of like pouring bleach in them while black children were in the pools or taking dogs and police dogs and taking them in the water, in the, in the beaches in Chicago and in the Gulf and in Florida, and literally like taking black swimmers who would protest whites only beaches and sicking dogs on them and kicking them out and arresting them for going to the ocean. These are things that I think when, when American people, when people find out that part of our history, it's very uncomfortable. But it's also like if you're wondering or if you thought that, like, these activities were just something that you did yeah. and it just not a part of other people's culture, I have some news for you. That is by design. And that's the larger conversation that I think when people come into acceptance of it, it's like, okay, wow, I, like, I appreciate that perspective. How can I be more open? How can I be more welcoming? And open well, like and you one said,
1: you know, un- history is uncomfortable, right? And people can just think, oh, yeah, whatever. Whether it's that history or other history, you're just kind of a downer. Our own personal histories are uncomfortable. I don't know, if, folks, if you've been in any – for those few people that are listening to this, I'm assuming, that think it's better to sweep history under the rug. I mean, if you've been in a relationship and your own personal history is preventing you – From growth in that relationship, or is is, is, you know, uh, making you a a person that just, you know, isn't likable for different reasons. Mm. If you bury your personal history, you're you're never gonna be in a great relationship. You have to do the work. You have to remember your personal history, you have to dig at it, you have to expose it, you have to share it with other people so that you can learn from it. So you you never bury that personal history. So if you expect, I mean, this is a relationship. We're in a relationship as a nation. within the nation and with other nations. We have to always be aware of our history. We have to always look at it as a reminder. We have to eventually hopefully look at them as healed scars, but scars that are visible nonetheless.
0: That's how you grow. That's how you grow from the time you're young. You and scars are sexy, folks. We yeah. could be a sexy
1: country again, you know? It's just, we're not doing it right now. We're picking at
0: scabs. Anyway, yeah, yeah. we could go down that road forever. But <laughs> um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a it's a very yeah. healthy analogy. It's like, yeah. I look forward to therapy every week so that I can crack open the shit that I've done wrong or, or the shit that's happened that is like, was either my fault or someone else's and let go of it so that I don't reenact those things and can have a more healthy existence. And like you said, we We can and should be doing that as a collective. It's just hard. You were
1: saying, and I've seen photos and some videos, uh, you were literally saying they they pour bleach in the pool and sick dogs. On young African American kids, this is real stuff. There are pictures online if you want pictures, to get that stuff. And when all you of hear it. somebody say it, it makes you sick to your stomach, and it makes you want to get away from those words. I just, I just heard them, and it made me literally kind of like recoil on the inside. You can feel your energy pulling back. But you got to lean into this stuff, you know, um, especially when it isn't your experience or your family's experience, right? It's the only way that you can get closer to it, and just know that you're never gonna really understand it but uh
0: you may come gotta, into some, you, into you've some empathy
1: sympathize and, you, and you then may grow co- into empathy yeah yeah you yeah, may yeah.
0: Come, in, come into some empathy and when you come into empathy that's when you really start to move because sympathy yeah. is 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 a nice starter kit i feel bad
1: yeah
0: right empathy is like oh i can comp- i can comprehend or i'm doing my best to understand how that feels for others and how i can lend support.
1: Yeah. We need to get there. So there's a passage from the book that I loved, and I'm probably going to blow the pronunciation of the first name, uh, Klein Maharaj, who's talking about, I'm shifting gears a little bit, we'll come back to this, street fashion in Africa, but I love this, particularly South Africa. Klein says, as much as the suggestion that Africa is finding itself is vexing, it's not entirely untrue in the context of streetwear. The aspiration here is to be quote-unquote, more Western, which is why so many African musicians perform with American accents. And it's why you'll find kids in rural Africa wearing Nike and bootleg Supreme hats. This is the kind of the image that we get of African, you know, these are the photos we see, right? Mm. For a long time, Africa has done itself a disservice by trying to be more like the West instead of cultivating its own identity, an attitude that is a relic of colonialism. But the idea is the tide is turning. I read that. I was like, Bam, this is so much part of a nicer world, like overcoming this homogenization of all cultures and the domination by one culture. Like a nicer world, folks, it's gotta be one where influences from every corner are seen on a shared stage. Because it's funny, like on one hand, we can do a much better job of... of, recognizing like our fundamental similarities, right? As humans, mm. we can do way better there. But we also need to really celebrate, I think, the different flavors within our similarities. So it's like same, but different, you know, and really share these differences and be proud of them, champion them. Uh, this is kind of the feeling that I got from his words. So all that said, sorry, a tough question for you, or maybe it's an easy one. When we start seeing, thanks to you and others, when we start seeing more African styles, You know, in culture, uh, in surf culture, when this blossoms, is it okay for non-Africans like myself to rock those styles? Are we going to be guilty of like cultural assimilation? You know, we're in this weird, (laughs) we're in a weird conversation right now about this stuff, right? So, does the global majority, in terms of power and consumption, have any right to identify with these this new
0: cultural outpouring? Absolutely. I mean, there's there's a difference between wearing something um, and giving credit to where it's from and there's an entirely other thing in taking something or borrowing from another culture giving no credit and being like hey look what i did um or you know not researching or, or really finding out what why certain cultures uh wear hairstyles a certain way instead of being like oh that's cute i'm gonna do that it's that, it's that curiosity, like you talked about. It's, it's like you, you used a, a really great uh, analogy a second ago about about the need for different flavors. Like when you walk into someone's home uh, for a meal and you see that they have like a multitude of seasonings in their cupboard, you're like, oh, we're about yeah, to yeah. eat. <laughs> but they also are going to explain to you like what those different seasonings do and why and where they come from and they don't use them Uh, liberally, right? Like it's, 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 it's precise and and for a reason. And so, you know, even with like, with our brand, you know, this is an, this, this is this modern lifestyle streetwear that is influenced and, and, and flavored from, from Africa. Absolutely. Expect all peoples uh, to, to feel really happy about, about rocking it. But We're not taking like, um, you know, traditional clothing that is that is worn, uh, specifically for certain ceremonies or, or, or kept for, for, for certain, um, cultures within a culture and then being like, Hey world, you can do this. That would be disrespectful and that would dishonor it. Um, and I think it's that level of curiosity, curiosity with reverence when it, when it comes to, to celebrating or being influenced by, like when I go to Japan, I get excited, right. To to go and, and shop and, um, I'm not going to go and, and, and rock like a traditional kimono, uh, and, and bring that home, but I'm going to go and, and find whatever local styles, modern styles that embody that, That is like, okay for me to, to rock and celebrate, you know, like a piece of clothing that says X place is the shit. Right. Um, and I think, I think, yeah, I think people have to use common sense and, and ask questions. Um, and be able to like have a reason why they're why they're why they're wearing certain clothing. Um, and want to do it should be your goal to do so with respect.
1: So mommywatsurf.com is where you can check out all kinds of goodness. It, it'll be in the show notes, folks, but mommywattasurf.com. I'm looking yeah. at this
0: we just launched love. The, the US uh the, the US site. But yeah, like that game of love sweatshirt.
1: I'm looking at the game of love sweatshirt right now. So it's designed, knitted, stitched in Cape Town. Uh, it's African brush, cotton, 300 grams. Well, I'm not sure what it feels like, but I'm supposed to give it a try. So, uh, I love this. Yeah. I love this because it's sourced there, the whole thing. And it's something where super nice club has work to do. You know, we have a lot of work to do with our merch. First of all, I just don't like the merch part. It's like my least favorite part of the whole thing, but it can be fun. Yeah. Uh, But you know, you really, if you're going to be a nicer club, you need to, you need to, the, the ethics of clothing are screwy. And there's a lot of booby traps. There's a lot of companies out there that are preaching their eco this, but when you get into labor and everything, the long story short, folks, um, Prices at Super Nice Club are going to have to go up at some point quite a bit in order to be ethical. We gotta, you gotta pay for good stuff, and you gotta pay for fair wages, and then you gotta treasure that garment. You treasure it. You don't just why wear disposable clothing. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so I'm loving. I'm going to put in my order at some point here. Unfortunately, I live in LA where sweatshirts are like. So rare to be able to wear them. All my coats, all my jackets. It's winter season. Never get to wear
0: them. Morning, I know, but it's morning, still
1: like seventy-eight.
0: <laughs> morning, morning coffee is fifty degrees every day totally. in in Los Angeles until the end of February. Where do you live Arson. in LA?
1: Uh, I live in Brentwood.
0: All right, I'm in Venice.
1: Yeah, um, Venice is better than Brentwood. But we have a podcast <laughs> all about Brentwood and Next Door with uh, writer Spike Ferriston. So many hateful, racist people on Next Door. Like it's awful. Oh like, my god! Against the homeless, against anything. I saw a Mexican guy walking down the street. Seriously, like I saw a Mexican guy walking in front of my house, and they'll report it on next door. I get kicked off the next door all the time for calling people out on their
0: bullshit. It's awful. I live in Venice, and, and you would think that like um, that would not be the case because we are a super super diverse, originally diverse. Uh, Venice changed uh, a lot in the last. But it's changed. It's changed a lot. Years. And I'm not on Nextdoor, but I am on the, uh, the other one. Um, Facebook? <laughs> no, I deleted Facebook in 2015. Good for you. I, was a, a, I could see the handwriting on the wall as soon as uh, Trump came down the escalator and started talking about Mexicans. I was like, yeah, and I saw the way Facebook reacted. I was like, oh, y'all people are feeling real spicy and extra. I think it's time for me to see my, my way out. But I am on um, Citizen. And the citizen oh, okay. comment group is, I, I, I'm just like, wait, how is it that something is happening here that we're all supposed to be concerned about as a community, and it just descends into all the reasons why, fuck the homeless, black and brown people. Da 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 da. da. I'm like, I don't even know why I'm on this app. And pe- like I no. said, people really. Then someone, someone told me they're like, oh, if you think that's is bad on citizen, get Go next door, me. and you'll oh feel like man, in a utopia. It's, it is. Bad.
1: And I understand that it's also self-selecting, that people who are hateful go to it and all that. But it does expose to a lot of folks who just would think, ah, oh, it's all tra-la-la and we're all integrated and happy. It's like bullshit, man. There's, mm-hmm. there's just like those people who are smiling to your face are, are nasty when they think that they can. Like I, I once posted on X where I said, hey, guys, this is great. I've got all your um, – I've screen captured all of your, your hateful, racist comments. <laughs> and your names are attached. So clearly you're cool with this being public. Right. Mm. This is a public platform, Mm. and I just I told them how I'm going to start making big posters out of these and just Mm. putting them up around town. (laughs) So so then the super right wing press got a hold of it and they started blasting me all through the the right wing universe. Mm. Um, Stephen Bannon has this little thing. Oh man! So I was like the enemy of the right. Like Todd Brilliant posted blah 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 blah. Like they were shocked that I would dare take their Words that they posted in public, not in but like the, a, not in a private group. No, public ass yeah, forum, public ass forum next door, and I'm like, I'm just gonna post these rounds so everybody can see what Brentwood's all about, what you're all about. And I got shit sent to me in the mail, like weird packages. I got threats. I'm still, I've a long play with next door. I'm still, I'm not, I'm not backing down from these fuckers. Not while I'm in Brentwood. Uh, anyway, yeah, Todd. changing gears. Let's get back to this. I'm, it just, I'm not it, mad at you, Grr. Uh, okay, so. Another standout, another standout passage. There's so many cool observations made by the the people in your book. But is uh, Kunalala Ndolovu writes Mm -hmm. about how you have the right to reimagine. I love this. You have the right to reimagine your own world through another individual's narrative, in particular, a photograph. Mm -hmm. Think about that, folks. To me, that's super powerful. It's the idea of how a photo or, you know, a story masterfully painted, different art, but a photo can be a portal into another world that can inspire someone who has nothing or very little to see themselves in an entirely different way, Mm. in an entirely different world. You know, it's like the power, I guess, of of imagination kind of powered up by real world imagery, you know, so reminding, reading this, reading uh, Kunalala's words, and, and he ended up in his story looking at photos of surf culture and then getting there. He has yeah. this whole journey, which you guys have to read. Reading this reminded me of many small moments in my life, but also of just the real ability for this book to, to change the world, to change the world through reimaginings all around the world, mm. right? These little micro reimaginings. This is what books like this do. Has the book achieved what you'd hoped it would in that way at all?
0: Like Beyond. Yeah? Absolutely beyond. I mean, we kickstarted this book last year and did like 1400 copies and the fact that we were able to do 1400 copies uh, at 60 bucks with all of the proceeds going to, uh, surf therapy organizations, Waves for Water, um, Waves for Change, excuse me, and, um, Surfers Not Street Children that are both based out of South Africa. That, that was just like, that's the win. Um, we were able to, to share this culture with people and help make a difference, um, in getting people into the ocean. And then um, Ten Speed Press and Penguin Random House came along and were like, "Hey, uh, this thing's really great. Would you like to like do it for real?" And you know, to to now have it all over the world. I think we printed uh, twenty thousand copies this summer with them, and the manner in which it's been received, and the conversations that people are having, and the letters that I get every day. Um, all with people saying exactly what you just talked about, reimagining a thing that they thought they knew and in turn becoming curious about a place that they didn't have on their list that they now have on their list and have on their list for different reasons is really exciting. You know, I, the first time I saw surfing, I was on tour with my father. I was, my dad was a musician, a trumpet player, and I was a little bit, a little bit of a musician. A little bit of
1: a musician. I mean, I nobody wants to like talk about their famous dad too much, but folks, seriously, Hugh Masakela. If you don't haven't heard of him, I can promise you, you've heard his music. You've heard um, uh, uh, "Grazing in the Grass." Everybody's heard "Grazing in the Grass," wouldn't you say? Yeah, like, at absolutely. some point, like everybody's heard that. It's Maybe. like the the what's that meter song uh, that everybody's heard. Um, anyway, yeah. Check them out, Spotify.
0: The, the Allstate yeah. commercial presently yeah. uh is Hugh Masekello's greatest in the grass. It's the it's the big Allstate commercial that's on nationally. Oh, there we go. But yeah, I was on my um I was on tour with my dad. I was fifteen. I was a roadie on tour with him and Paul Simon on the Graceland tour. And I was in Australia and there was a a a, a local crew member who would bring his surfboard back. he would surf in the mornings and then he'd come to rig and he'd always have his board backstage. And I was like, what is that? And he, I would pester him and pester him and pester him. And then finally he told me where to go to see it. And so I took a, a, a ferry to Bondi Beach. I sat exactly where he told me to on this bench. And two kids who were about my age walked out on the water. Um, and they surfed this little two-foot beach break together. And it looked like breakdancing on water. And on my little 15-year-old brain was just like, what is happening? Yeah. And at the time I was still living on the East Coast. But I remember definitively... I told myself in that moment, I don't know when, or how, but if I am ever ever have the chance, like I have to do this. And a year later, I mean, they they influenced me. They're the way they express themselves on on those boards, like was burnt in into my entirety of my being. And a year later, my mother and stepfather decided to move to Southern California, and here Perfect. we are, like a, a mile and a half from the beach. But it was like seeing them reinterpreted what the possibility in my life could be. And that's how I got surfing. And it, oh, that's it fantastic. wouldn't have happened any other way. I don't think. So two things on this book, guys, before we leave the book behind
1: for now, um, if you want your own copy of Afro surf, uh, next week's, well, whenever you're listening to this, it's all time traveling with these, uh, next week's podcast will be Salema's be nice challenge in which we'll gift a copy. All right. Hey! We're gonna give a copy away.
0: Two, <laughs>
1: I know I got to get the sound effect things, right? But that was um, great. Um, that's what I'm here for. You got them dialed up? You got them dialed up. Okay. <laughs> if you can't wait, if you don't want to wait, if you're like, I might not win. And why should you wait? It's, it's you know, holiday season. Buy a copy right now. Preferably, mm-hmm. like I said, at your local bookstore mm-hmm. where you'll keep someone in business instead of enriching, you know, a dude who thinks that building a hotel in space is a big priority. Uh, no comment on that uh, Jeez, oh. except for that comment. Yeah. Uh, it has like all books do of authors on this podcast, the super nice club guarantee, which means hundred percent money back. If you don't like the book, we'll buy it back from you at whatever price you paid for it. And we'll gift it out to somebody else in the super nice club. We'll find a way to, to make use of that book. So Afro surf gets a super nice club, hundred percent guarantee Buy the book. If you think it sucks, we won't judge you um, out loud, silently, absolutely will judge you, but we'll also, uh, buy it back from you at your price, honor system. All right. That's, books, a, honor that's, system.
0: that's amazing. Yeah. A and B, you ain't getting any books back.
1: No, of course not. But maybe, you know, maybe somebody out there is like, yeah, you know, it just really bothers me to look at pictures of beautiful people surfing. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> grosses me out. Um, different people have different phobias. All right. So. What does a nicer world look like to you? And what's it going to take to get there? And how will mommy want to help us all get there? Three questions. None of them are small.
0: Mm. Well, a nicer world to me is one in, in which there's just celebration for otherness, of, of otherness. Celebration, acceptance, uh, and allowance of Otherness, and that th- there's so many buckets that that falls into, right? That that <laughs> that falls into um, race, uh, religion, gender, um, nationality. I want to live in a world where, you know, I can watch. I, I get. I was watching a, a. There's this couple that I follow uh, in the Middle East. They're they're like a TikTok. Uh, a, Instagram couple and they kill it. And they tell these great stories about food and they travel through the Middle East and they were in Uzbekistan having this like ridiculous meal that is uh, from a certain uh, part of Uzbek Muslim culture. And I'm like, this is amazing. I want to go there and eat that food um, yeah. and sit with those people and know their history. I, I, I think um, curiosity and a developing A comfortability in being uncomfortable with what we don't know and who we don't know is the only way that the the world progresses and moves forward. Because historically, all of the little men, whether they are tall physically or not, the little powerful men who uh, aim to define and say that we are the standard for what the world is being, they all have a pretty shitty history like none of them succeeded and there is something about being human beings that we get caught that we easily can get up get caught up in a different version of the same nav- narrative of people feeling empowered about being the best because of where they're from or who they pray to or how they look in the mirror and it's just it's 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 a sad narrative that has never it's never it's never won it's never it's never won history it's a short life and a short existence for all of us. So why anyone wants to die on the hill of like, we're the best um, or my God is the best or any of those things. Right. I I find completely and wholly uh, puzzling. Um, So I think that's, and that's, that's gotta societally be a movement. That's gotta be a, a movement that at some point could possibly be something that moves nationally, but it comes from the people. Because we already know that like from a government standpoint, how do we separate uh, and conquer and divide and keep, keep everybody with less but have, have a certain aspect of them feel like they're better than the people who have just as less as they, they do uh, is, is wild to me. And as far as like, you know, what we're doing as a brand, I hope that we are, can be a brand that is just naturally makes people curious about the world um, in a way that like they, that they want to celebrate. You know, I, I mean, at the end of the day, we are a, a for-profit brand but that does a ton of work, um, to empower surf therapy organizations, because we do believe that the ocean provides so much therapy and healing and builds better communities. Um, and so being able to contribute to people who are already doing that in the ground, in their respective communities in Africa is something that, instead of like we're coming to save you type shit um, is something that that, that I, I, I think that we um, have the ability to do a good job of and, and maybe help make a contagious type of behavior but at the end of the day it's I think for individual human beings it's like how do you want to affect those? around you what kind of energy do you want to share with each other with strangers when you walk into a store and en- engage with someone who's taking care of you and helping you what do you want that exchange to be like it can be so much more than like just exchanging money asking a simple question about like how someone's day is going can make a difference in your day and mm-hmm. taking advantage of like those little interactions that we have as beings um, you there's so much possibility in in opening yourself up to um to those that you normally don't like exchange with.
1: I I think you just founded the uh, curiosity movement. I, I'm I'm itching to like Google curiosity movement right now, but it's pretty great. Like the idea of just staying curious, staying curious, um, mm-hmm. and and open at the same time. And then you threw the food angle in there. Which is, here's, okay, here's an impromptu challenge, listeners. Here's a challenge. Whatever your next meal is, let's say it's, I mean, in L.A., like you're having, you know, you're eating from a taco truck, right? You're eating Mexican food. Like Salima said earlier, when you walk into somebody's house, their spices, like, think about the spices in your food, right, in your Mexican food. Think about the food. Like, each spice is grown because of a particular climate where mm. it can grow, right? And they're harvested for different historical reasons. Uh, the different types of meats, if you're eating meat, the different types of vegetables. There's a there's a rich cultural history behind every spice and behind every ingredient. Like, you want to talk about corn uh, in Mexico, and you want like, history corn, it'll, it'll lead you into like... Uh, Horrible international companies that are dominating the genetic code of, you know, fruits and vegetables But take a moment to be thoughtful and mindful about the history of your food and the culture of the people that are mm-hmm. in your food That's some pretty curious stuff. You've got your mobile phone with you, right? So you're at your meal. Google one of the spices I, I bet you if you just look up if you're eating Indian food next look up turmeric. It'll be fascinating Yeah, you go down a rabbit hole just on turmeric. All right. So that's my challenge to you listeners is your next meal Whatever it is, get a little curious about the people who brought you that meal and the history of how that meal was made and how it was brought to you. Talk about Indian food. It's really interesting how Indian people came to the U.S. to open up these restaurants. You know, there's a reason for migrations a lot of the times. And there's a history of people, and it's often pretty ugly, and it's part of American history, which is a melting pot, and there's a lot of friction in there, too. There's so much beauty and potential here, but let's just be real. You know, let's get our beautiful battle scars on. Mm. Um, you also mentioned that you're doing, that Mami Wata is working with a couple of African organizations. Correct me. Waves for Change and Surfer's Not Street Children. Are those yeah. the ones you're working with? Mm-hmm. Okay. And those, tell me about those organizations. Waves for Change. How people can get involved with them.
0: Yeah. Well, waves, I mean, they're, they're both rooted uh, on the continent, so... Um, Funds are always a a beautiful thing. Um, Ways for Change aims to use literally like surf therapy, um, getting people in in, in communities that have under undergone um, lots of different traumas um, and helping helping indigenous people build relationship with the ocean. Uh, If you see the various ways in which surf therapy is taking place around the world, um, affecting all sorts of things with whether it's people who have, um, you know, suffered, uh, life-changing spinal cord injuries or people that are, 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 are dealing with or navigating life through autism, um, you know, PTSD and soldiers, um, surfing and the ocean helps to change the quality of people's lives and how they see themselves. Um, And Ways for Change does an incredible job uh, in doing that in communities across uh, the continent and helping people build real relationship and community around the healing power of the ocean. And then Surface Not Street Children is based in Durban, South Africa, um, where there's a real challenge for young street kids that that, uh, unfortunately come from broken homes and end up becoming very very young adults that are mm-hmm. pre- preyed on by much older adjo- adults uh, to engage in things that would make your head spin, uh, whether it be drug dealing, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And Surfers on the Street Children has a, a basically a, a building um, near the beach in Durban. Kids get to live there and become surfers and gain an education and have their lives changed through this power of of surfing and the work that they're doing is, is, is radical. I've gotten to spend some time with them, um, and with the kids. And it's awesome to see what a sense of identity and a sense of self that comes from a kid being able to learn how to, to challenge and tackle a new environment and fall down and get back up and overcome fears and, um, have a sense of pride and belief in themselves and build association and community which is something that, you know, that, that has been deprived from them as well as family. So
1: links to both those organizations in the show note, folks. And I know it's like, you know, Sal said money makes a difference, it does make a difference. So, you know, even like you could do the whole coffee challenge because you're, you're you're spending five bucks a day on coffee. A lot of you are just go on there. If you're interested, if this resonates with you, that's yeah. all, if it resonates with you, check it out. You can be able, the, the best thing you can do. Don't give a hundred bucks. Psst give five bucks, yeah. make it a monthly recurring donation yeah. because those monthly recurring donations are the ones that nonprofits count on. The yes. most. They never know when the $100, the $50, the $10,000 thing is going to drop in their lap, but they know when the monthlies are coming in. Even a buck, just go on, give a buck to each of these. They're monthly recurring donations. They make a difference. And if if you've been a super nice club member for a while, you know that one of our, our partnerships is uh we have super nice FC, which is a women's football soccer team in the Valley Refugee Center in Uganda, and that team—and you get updates on it if you're on our mailing list—it has done that. It has been therapy for these young women who have been through literal hell. Uh, it's keeping them off the streets. There, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of of just bad situations that they can get into inside these refugee camps and in, this, in the surrounding cities. So, Super Nice FC has shown through, uh, you know, organized by our amazing friend and partner, William Butala, William, if you're listening, love you, miss you, um, that athletics can be huge life changers for people. So, ways for change, surfers not street children, Check them out, these are difference makers
0: that's awesome um the your soccer club that's 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 brilliant yeah, we didn't do it
1: that's that's William Butala uh, he's a refugee young man in his twenties. His story is horrifying it's just yeah. horrifying what he's been through what he's seen, and but he is the most positive optimistic he he teaches. All these young kids, he teaches them body language, he teaches them emotional coping skills. This is all stuff that he just learned. He didn't go to school for this, Yeah, that's, right? Yeah, he's teaching them how to get involved, how to, how to do art, how to do video, uh, the whole thing. Giving them through art, uh, through history, through athletics, uh, and through general education. And he's of course overwhelmed. Right. This is a hundred. <laughs> when you start doing 000,
0: good. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you've been There's just too many kids
1: and they're still flowing in. Right. The situation in, in Central Africa is a daily mess. Uh, it won't always be a daily mess, but it is right now. And it won't always be a daily mess because we're all, that's you, the listener, anybody paying attention to this, committed to making sure that it isn't. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to donate. It means you have to have a commitment to talking about it. That's all. Share like what the hell's going on in the world around you with people now and then. You can also get a copy of AfroSurf because it'll give you a whole lot of stories to to marinate on and to think on. Yeah, I'm trying to sell the book, folks, because this is a book that is part of our whole make the world 10% nicer thing. I'm not trying to sell it to you because it's a product that you need to guzzle. We don't need to be guzzling products. That's part of the problem. But these are a bunch of stories and they're bound, like this is one of the oldest things that humans do. We tell stories, we put them together, and we share them. is a great collection. All right, so your big leaps of faith, sir. I want to know, a recent guest this podcast, I mentioned him earlier. He's a writer, comedian, host of Spike's Car Radio, Spike Ferriston. Uh, he worked as an intern for David Letterman before making the leap to paid writing gig with uh, SNL, then back to Letterman. And then on to a successful career. He wrote the Soup Nazi episode for Seinfeld. He's done a bunch of stuff. He's a great writer. But you got a similar start as an intern.
0: Is that right? Mm, I did. I started as an intern at Transworld Snowboarding and Skateboarding Magazine Uh, in 1993. I was answering the phones there. And it was such a huge one for me because at the time, all of my friends were like coming home from college. And I was cleaning office buildings at night and I was a bank teller and working in restaurants and doing everything I could to supply, uh, and support my habit of wanting to be in the water and snowboarding. Right. Um, and you know, my parents were confused by me (laughs) (laughs) and I was like, no, you guys don't don't understand. And getting that job at trans world was the first place that I felt seen and I was able to see people who like were passionate about this lifestyle and making a living from it and being creative. And, um, and that was that that changed my life. It put me on the path to now.
1: What do you think of internships now in 2021? Do you think they're as valuable as ever like I, for, for young you know, college kids or people who may not go to college? What's the state of the intern?
0: I think uh, they're more they're more valuable than ever. And I also think that they are heavily biased towards people with privilege and, and, and generational relationships in their families. You know, I got lucky. I was busing tables at a restaurant in my town and a guy who worked at the restaurant, um, who would come in regularly and I would still come out with like free refills on coffee and orange juice. And we started talking and he learned about my passion, um, for snowboarding and skateboarding and, and surfing. he, he was the one who got me that job. If I hadn't to, like worked that table repetitively whenever he came in uh, and built that relationship, I would have never gotten that shot to get into the door. And I think sometimes when 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 kids don't realize like, oh, my my dad works with a person and they got me in at this place and I'm going to see what that's like. If not, there's another option that sometimes people don't realize that how precious those opportunities are and how they're mostly closed off. Um, when it comes to like people who of, of of less opportunity, who are just as talented, if not more talented, but just don't have access to the opportunities. So I think internships um, have never been more valuable. It's one of the things that we do with my organization, uh, Stoked Mentoring, is uh, we we get our kids get an opportunity to partner with professionals and learn about what those jobs are and what they do. Um, in a way that they never would get to, and then have a shot um, at internships uh, when they graduate high school or in between, in between semesters at college.
1: We've got we to gotta get some interns here at Super Nice Club. We'll have to talk about that at some point. Uh, you know what else I like that you said is you said, yeah, you got lucky, but you didn't give yourself credit on one thing, and it's an important thing, which is that you were sharing your passions, obviously. Oh like yeah. You were serving the table, but you were you were confident enough to share your passions and people. It's important. If you have something that you're kinda of in the back of your mind, like uh, a little afraid of, stop being afraid of it. Share it. Talk about it all the time. If it's your passion, that's what you do. You talk about your passions, but a lot of us don't. So another little micro challenge, folks, share your passion with everybody you're talking to. Because that's how that's how things happen. Never would have happened. Um, you know, Sal never would have made it, and by make it, I mean become a guest on Nice Work Podcast (laughs) if you hadn't shared his passion while comp and orange juice and coffee. So share your passions. Facts. Absolute facts. Yeah. Um, So how did you make the leap from intern to the rest of your career in a nutshell? I know there's a bunch of things, but you probably took some big risks.
0: I took some big risks. You know, I became sort of receptionist at that at that magazine. And then I worked in product sales and producing video magazines and Went on to work at a bunch of other brands uh, within action sports, you know, skateboarding brands, snowboarding brands, uh, as, w- as well as being able to, to co-found a brand um, called Alpha uh in the early 2000s. But I always enjoyed being on on the mic at events. And in the early days within action sports, before they got on television, it was just your friends putting on events. And you took turns like doing literally every job, including who's going to talk? You know, yeah. you take turns, uh, announcing for the crowd. I was, I got a reputation as being a, a, a great shit talker. Um, <laughs> the skaters and the, and the, and the snowboarders would always request me because they, 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 they felt like it helped make good energy and I, I win the crowd, win the day. And yeah. I just, it intersected with when people, when mainstream uh, outlets started to realize like, Oh, this is a culture that we can make money off of. Let's put this stuff on TV. And right. I, it started off on a, a public access show, and then my, I got a big break at MTV, uh, the MTV Sports and Music Festival, where they needed someone who knew about skateboarding to to pair up with Carson Daly and okay. make him look smart uh, about a thing that he didn't know about. And right. that was my my first really big gig. And Carson taught me about how to be a a, a, a television host. You know, I, I was. Passionate, and I could talk shit on the mic, but I didn't know anything about like what I was doing in front of a camera, and that right. led that led to uh, my big break at ESPN um, at the X Games as a I started off as a sideline reporter at uh, at X Games.
1: Yeah, so you spent a number of years at ESPN covering the X Games, uh, but at some point you turned your attention to the underrepresentation of Black people in some super super some very white sports. Was there a catalyst that led to that shift where you just kind of biding your time like i'm gonna i'm I'm in here i'm gonna get there
0: well i was the only person who looked like me for the most part at almost every event that i was at for 13 years at espn i became the preeminent voice of uh most recognizable face and voice in the culture because of having this 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 stage as platform at espn and abc but people would always be like, wow, how did you get this job? Because you don't do those sports, right? Did ESPN teach you these things? And I was like, I live this shit, and I'm an expert. And I have the credibility and belief of the culture and the athletes. That's how I got this job. Um, and I, it really, it was a very interesting thing to navigate, to always have to like find yourself in these situations and in these rooms that you've earned the space to be in, but you have to prove to people that you're supposed to be there. You know what I mean? Like they 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 always want to like validate, like oh 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 wow, oh, that's what you do? Oh okay, well that's strange, but cool. And I got tired of that, and I wanted I, I wanted to to start to speak about why that was the case, why I was uh, one of the only people in this space, and and open people up to the history of how. The outdoors, for the most part, um, in in all of these sports outside of skateboarding, um, had pretty much been reserved for for people in communities that didn't look like mine. And I wanted to to I wanted to figure out the best ways that I could to open up and help create access um, for for others to realize that this is a space that they could play in. I didn't know that I was doing that at the time when I when I first started. And I remember the first time that a kid came up to me. I was walking down the street uptown in Harlem in a neighborhood um, that was kind of rough. Um, and this kid, well, I was walking by and this dude was on a step. And he's like, yo, X Games, I see you. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, man. He's like, don't walk past here with your head down. Like, walk with your head high. Cause, because of you and because we see you. Showing us what this stuff is about. That's why you see those kids over there that are on them those skateboards and on the BMX bike. It's because of wow. you. Keep doing what you're doing for us. And it was it gives me chills, man, when I remember that yeah. moment because it was like, oh, wow. And then that started happening more and more and more, and I realized it was it was just this classic, you know, this that classic the phrase, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. I just didn't realize that I was the thing that people were seeing that gave them license to go and find out what that was so they could be it. Um, and, and so I, the more that I started to, to realize that this platform came with a a bit of a certain amount of power, it was like, okay, well, how can I use this as best I can for good and to help, help figure out ways to create access for others.
1: What an incredible moment. And that's a moment, that's a pivotal moment that you'll always remember. Oh, I mean, for sure. Other, other moments added on to that. But that, that reminds me that, you know, we live in a culture where, like the Yelp culture, the next door culture, where it's really easy to complain about stuff. It's really easy to be negative. But don't forget, like, whoever that person was that gave you that shout out changed your life, which helped you change other lives, right? So be that person, folks. Like when you see somebody doing something good, say, "Hey, you're doing something good," like, right? I mean, like, we need more people to ignite sparks in other people. Yeah, you know, I think we can all do a better job of that.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I, that that man will never know the difference that he made in my life, and we, you know, speaking six feet apart from a stoop, and me me walking down his street and choosing to acknowledge and see me. Um, changed the, the, the course of, of my existence, for sure. And the flip side of that is when
1: you say something hurtful to somebody, especially somebody in their younger years, they carry that for the rest of their lives oftentimes. You may just think of it as something funny, something, you know, as an aside or whatever. Now, you can, you can set people down some pretty bad paths too. So, you know, choose your words. Absolutely. Uh, all of us. I'm talking to myself as well. You know, Absolutely. choose our words. So before we wrap up, I do want to mention real quick, because yesterday my Spotify playlist was your band, Alakazam. So your dad's, a, you know, an all-time global legend. So the pressure to have your own musical career is one thing. But your bandmate, this is what's cool. This is what, you know, Spotify bios are great. Sonny Levine shares the same story, right? So, like, just real quick, real quick, tell us about how you guys came together and, like, what's ahead on the Alakazam front.
0: Well, Sonny and People I.
1: People, go on wherever you stream, just just A L E K E S A M, Alakasam.
0: Which is Masakela backwards?
1: Man, I, I need to start drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> like more of it. Damn, I didn't even see it. All
0: right. Okay.
1: Uh, oh, boy. All right. Yeah.
0: It's a, yeah, I'm, I'm the sharp one. What's my last name again? Okay. <laughs> I mean, there was already a Masakela who was making great records. So. It seemed like the the right way to go uh, to make a little make people have to listen to the music first, and then if they figured out who was behind it, cool. But that wasn't really my goal. You know, music was something that lived in me, that I was extremely passionate about, and uh, I just wanted to, to 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 see if if what was constantly going on in my head, in my heart, this knowledge that I knew I had something to give. Uh, was real, and that's how um, al Kazan came about. And it was it was really Sunny and Sunny Sunny's father Stuart Levine produced most of my dad's great records. Um, okay, growing up, they they went to music school together. Um, they they in New York, and then they came out to L.A. together, uh, and they they made all this great music together. And then when when Sunny and I we grew up together uh, almost like, like brothers. Um, and then we ended up living together in Los Angeles in the same way that my dad and his dad did. Uh, and he, he started working at producing music. I would chime in and sing back up here and there on, on, on friends records. And people would be like, Hey, when are you going to make a record one day? And it was sunny who finally like light lit the, lit the fire underneath me and said, Hey man, I had just stopped working at E entertainment. And, um, he, he was like, it's time for you to make your, make your album. We're going to make it together. And he forced me to like take a break and not do anything television-wise and just sit and write and be wholly dedicated to uh, what, would, what, what would happen if I could just focus on this thing that had been in my head and my heart for all these years. And we took three months together and made the first album, The Sound of Alakazam, um, which led to our second album, uh, Soundproof Heart um and it's been great you know I've, I've gotten songs on a bunch of great shows and that i never would have believed i could have um we you know i played bonnaroo played afropunk in paris um i got to make wow. got to make a song with my with my father before he died um that came out on the um on, on, that was on the last album and that was something that i always dreamed of after my first record when i played it for my dad he said it's great, man. I really, I really forgot how much like you can sing. He said, but I have one problem with it. I was like, oh no, what's that? You know? He said, why didn't you put me on it, man? He said, <laughs> you, you, you can't make another one of these without me. Just promise me that. And that was like the greatest like sign of a like approval, you know, to get yeah, that from you yeah. from your from your dad. And sure enough, on the next album. Uh, he, he came on and we were uh, oh, cool. together. Yeah,
1: together. That's great. So there will be more records ahead, yeah? More records ahead. More records okay. ahead, for sure. All right, cool. Um, so we wrap this with three quick things. One of them uh, is a new, new little segment. Your latest Instagram post is... <laughs> is Okay, here it is. It's a video. That's, that, is that you? That's me. That's you? Yeah. Yeah, okay. On one of those... Oh, man. One of those balancing balls. What are those called? A Bosu it's ball. A balancing ball. Yeah, yeah Bosu ball. This is a really hard thing to do. So he's standing on the balancing ball and doing and doing squats. Yeah. Right. And it's the the post is be uncomfortable often. Mm. Yeah. So
0: uh, expand on that just a little bit, just for a second. I try to keep moving, and I in order as you know as you age if you want to maintain fitness and dexterity, um, you gotta be uncomfortable. You gotta train, you gotta move your body, you gotta challenge yourself, you gotta put yourself under tension. Um, And it's uncomfortable. And so it's about, for me, it's about finding a a general comfort in being uncomfortable because the the outcome, the the, the, the outcome from that buy-in always yields Results that I never could have imagined. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's where that one came from. And I, and that's funny because I hadn't done that. I hadn't squatted on, on one of those balls in a long, long time. And I was training with a friend today and she was like, you should try that. And I was like, I haven't done one of those in 20 years. But I, It's hard. and
1: I, I've tried doing on the flip side kind yeah. of, you know, the half one and yeah. turn them upside down.
0: And I, I even struggle with that. So good job, man! Thanks. It felt really good, and it was like a, it was a it was like oh, okay, we still got some some in the tank here, and all the other stuff that you're doing is paying off. If you can, you know, jump on this thing and and still be able to do it.
1: So no, it's pretty great. If you don't have a a fitness ball, folks, you can also do wall squats. Yes, I'll do timed wall squats, and they kill me. And once you start nailing those, you can turn them into one legged like pistol squats and stuff. Mm-hmm. So squats are incredible. I don't have any leg muscles, so in theory. <laughs> Squats are incredible. I mean, they they really work me. But uh, just air
0: squats, another like, challenge. Like yeah, body, just air squats, just body yeah. body weight squats. You know, yeah. try and do a hundred over kind of the course of a day. Jump up a little
1: bit at the end if you want to mm-hmm. get you know, get good. All right, so we also do a be nice challenge. This is where the guest, that's you, gets to offer just a little challenge to the listeners here. Something they can do to make. It could be small, like a little micro niceness, uh, something to make their world, the world, a little nicer place. We're going to uh, ask people to tell us, you know, give us some feedback and then randomly select a winner from the people who participated. And let's ship them a book. So do you have a challenge for folks?
0: Say hello to five strangers today. See what happens. That's a good challenge. Yeah. Five of them. Five of them.
1: Gotta make eye contact.
0: Eye contact. Say hello. Whether All it right, so it.
1: say hello to, to five people today, folks. Strangers. Let us
0: know how it went. Somebody's gonna say someone's it, gonna have an incredible story. Someone there's someone is going to come. Here's what happened because I chose to say hello and ask, you know, how that person was doing today. Here's what I learned.
1: So tell us your stories. Uh, Whoever comes up with uh, a great story will either randomly select you or we'll just pick the best story. This is the honor system too. Or maybe it's an opportunity for you to be a great fiction writer. Whatever. doesn't matter. The point of the challenge is for you to think about saying hello to people. And the point of the challenge is to get a copy of this book into one of your hands. Yes. So go take the challenge right now. The Say Hello Challenge. Say Hello Challenge. I like it. Yeah. We got it. And then lastly... Lastly, lastly, today, uh, you get to be the host for a second. Okay. You get to ask me one question, any question. So it's your chance to throw me off stride or go easy. It's up to you.
0: What gave you the audacity to decide to do a podcast that is so heavily focused on uh, positivity in, in the world? You could have done something far easier.
1: Well, you know, first of all, I had to, uh, it's a good question. Um, I'll just riff an answer. It had to align with Super Nice Club, right? Mm-hmm. Super Nice Club is trying to make the world 10% nicer. And what does that mean? 10% nicer? Like What the, what the hell is that? There's a lot of different people have different opinions on what that is for them. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, it's maybe just wellness right? Self-help. Other people, it's social equity. Other people, it's climate. For a lot of us, it's all of these things. Mm. But sometimes our passions are, you know, more around one specific thing. Or it's just getting enough food to eat, right? Mm. Or basic shelter. We have a lot of privilege in thinking of these larger issues like climate when they're not directly affecting us. So the the podcast is a channel of the Super Nice Club. And We made it around nice work because I think a lot of people out there are wanting to do or feel like the work that they're doing is important, right? So originally it was like we got to have people from all different walks of life, which is what we do. We have people that do all kinds of different things, but also how to get to that nice work for yourself to make that leap of faith. Maybe you're working, you're bussing tables, but you want to be doing is working for um, a nonprofit doing X, Y, and Z. How do you make the leap to get from here to there, right? Uh, or maybe you're working at a nonprofit, but you're like, ah, this just isn't for me. I want to be a surfer. Mm. I, how do you make that leap of faith? And I think that with enough people telling their stories from different walks of life, it's, there's a common thread that happens. You know, it's a really simple common thread. It's not even, there's no secret sauce. It's just called go for it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's called just do it and don't worry about the landing. Like we were talking about, you know, before we started recording, like sometimes you're going to stick it. Sometimes you're going to bomb it, but you're still making the leap. So you're going to get closer to it. And I think for, for people to feel content with their lives, a lot of times they want to be doing something that they love doing. They want to marry their passion with their profession as much as possible. Doesn't mean you're necessarily full time in your thing. Your passion may be singing. You're never going to become a full time singer. Doesn't mean you can't still sing. Doesn't mean it's not going to make your
0: life better and bring you joy. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So that's where the podcast revolves around. Uh, and it, Honestly, it just gives me a lot of room to bring in a lot of different people to talk about a lot of different things. Now, if you want to do a successful podcast, people argue that you want to get a little narrower. You know, you want to make your, your subject matter very niche, very specific, very focused. Uh, and there were some ideas for that that I think might have made the podcast more marketable right off the bat. But this is more interesting to me. And it's my podcast. Yeah, and this is also
0: <laughs> how you you build root and community because if people get engaged, if it, it, if it's not low hanging fruit, it takes it, it takes a lot longer to grow. But you, you get those roots planted and people are down for the ride.
1: So i uh, I agree. I agree. And it's been you are the I think the 85th guest, which I can't believe. And that's it's amazing, man! Congratulations. All been during COVID. Thank you. And it's, it's been so, you do a podcast, right?
0: I do. And it's so hard to be consistent. It's very
1: hard to be consistent. What's going on in your personal life really affects things, you know, but you get off always feeling good about it, like inspired. You, You just talk to somebody who's way better than you at something. And that's inspiring to surround yourself with people who are smarter, better, faster, all these things. That's a lucky thing to do. And when you have a podcast, who cares if it's a hit or not a hit? You get to do that. You get to hang out for an hour with awesome people. And the rest of your day, it's changed. The rest of your day, I'll be thinking about the things that you said. And that'll lead me down rabbit holes. And that'll be part of the rest of my life. So it's totally worth it. Totally worth it. Um, I appreciate
0: that, man. It's very inspiring. And this has been definitely an hour of engaging and exchanging, and I'm grateful for
1: Sulema, it. Salema, welcome to the Super Nice Club. Thank man. you, man. Glad to have you in the club. Really glad to have you in the club. Thanks for your time today. Everybody, check out Afro Surf. Check out all the links for these organizations that he's supporting through his company, through this endeavor, through Mami Wata Surf. Check out the website. I mean, you can buy some Super Nice Club gear, but I ain't going to lie... Sal's gear is better. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, we don't have a designer. I just kind of make it up as I go. I mean, I appreciate everybody buying Super Nice Club gear, but this stuff is awesome. I love it. So I think you're the first podcast guest whose gear I'm going to buy. Ah, well, we, we
0: appreciate so, the support. Um, Thank
1: you so much. Yeah, man. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Right on, man. Hope to run in you in LA sometime. I'll see you on next door. <laughs> Okay, as promised and just delivered, a super nice conversation with Salema Masakela. Isn't he awesome? Like seriously, even if you don't like surfing, you're inspired by that, dude. I promise you are. I know you are because you're still listening, which means that you were inspired enough to keep listening to the whole conversation. Uh, or maybe you just thought maybe there'd be more, more free stuff. You could win another book. You know, uh, yeah, win the book. Enter that thing, that competition. Say hi to five people and tell us about it. It's a $50 book. Plus, I'll probably spend 20 bucks shipping it to you. 70 bucks divided by five. What's that? Eight? No, 14. There we go. 14 bucks per hello to someone. And since most people are pretty lazy and just say they want to be nicer, but don't do the work, probably three people will get back to us on this. So you got a one in three chance of winning after being bribed to be nice to five strangers today. Pretty damned good deal, don't you think? All right. Uh, don't forget to check out... Uh, Salem is Mami Wata. the links in the show notes here to these organizations that he's supporting that are changing lives of the next generation because you know this generation my generation we screwed up pretty hard just like our parents did greatest generation ah, <laughs> i don't think so that one is to come so get out there and support that generation that's coming up all right again just click on the links check it all out and uh, even like a buck a buck a week A buck a month. Recurring donation makes a difference. Hey, if you like this podcast, can you send it to one person? One person, all right? doesn't matter who that one person is. You know, your neighbor, your male person, your grandparents. Well, parents, that's two. Just one of your grandparents, your favorite grandparent. Uh, That makes a difference, really helps us out, spreads the message. Uh, Love you a bunch. Thank you for being nice. Thank you for being in the club. And uh, until the next episode, stay nice, everyone.
0: Rifle and a suit this war. Closing my account at the angry store. Just wanna be nice, and baby that's the rule. That's why I'm joining the super nice club. So come on in, the water is warm. You and I can wait out this passing storm. Just wanna be nice.
1: So what? Big deal.